prodigal son. Possibly the most beloved story in all of our scriptures, but it is one that has been the cause of quite a bit of conflict, at least among like church inner circle folks and the writers of what is called our lectionary. So here's the debate. You probably know that we have seasons in the church year, and you probably know that those seasons have different themes, and you might even know that we follow a schedule of Bible readings that tells us which scripture to read each week of the year, and that that schedule is called the lectionary. And what the writers of the lectionary did is they tried to match the themes in scripture passages to the themes of the season in which they would be read. So the debate around this scripture is, in which season does this story most properly fit? Does this story belong in Lent, which is this you know season about um, us and our journey of repentance and returning to God? Or does this story actually fit better in the season of Pentecost, which celebrates God and God's goodness and all of the gifts that God bestows upon us? So that's the long-standing debate. We're going to resolve it today together. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go over the story together. I'm going to share 10 tidbits about this story, 10 things um, to know or to note about this story, and then we're going to decide, is this a Lent and us and repentance story, a Pentecost and God and God's gifts story? And then I'll, I'll throw in one last twist at the end, but all right, here we go. Ready? 10 tidbits to know about the story of the prodigal son. All right. Number one, this entire story is framed by its introduction. At the beginning, it says um, that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're grumbling about the people with whom Jesus eats, tax collectors and sinners. And in response to the grumbling of the Pharisees, Jesus tells this story. So that's important context. Uh, number two, this story flip-flops a time-honored biblical tradition of honoring the youngest son. Um, in, so think of like Joseph is the youngest of 12. King David is the youngest of eight. And the way that Jesus starts the story, a man had two sons. That uh, intro would immediately ring to the mind of his audience stories like the stories of Cain and Abel, of Ishmael and Isaac, of Esau and Jacob, all stories in which, at least if you're Jewish, the youngest son is the hero of the story. So Jesus is flipping, intentionally flipping people's expectations when he has who they would expect to be the hero in the younger son end up like so catastrophically uh, messing everything up. Number three, this story gives not one, not two, but three reasons for why the youngest son ends up in the predicament that he does. And, and see, like, what would you say if don't go back and look at the scripture? Why does the youngest son end up in such dire straits? Well, um, a group of scholars asked some version of that question to different focus groups, some of which were in North America and some of which were in West Africa. And most people in the North American group said, well, this happened to him because he squandered all of his inheritance. He wasted all of his resources. Most people in the West African focus group said this happened to him because a famine came upon the land. Which of them is right? Now you can look back at the scripture and you'll see uh, both. Both of those are stated in the text as reasons for his predicament, along with a third reason, which is that no one offered him any help. So in other words, if we're trying to think through the youngest son and like, is this his fault that this has happened to him? Or is it from circumstances outside of his control? The answer is yes, 
both. The text is very intentionally saying both. Um, right. Number four, living with the pigs. Now remember in Judaism, pigs are considered unclean, right? Like think about the story where Jesus exercises all of those demons. Where do they go? They go into a herd of pigs. So saying that this guy's living in the pig bed, this is saying that he has hit like the lowest of the lowest of the low. Like he has hit rock bottom. Number five, while he's still far off, the father comes out to him. So that's implying that the father has been waiting, watching, hoping for his return. Number six, his carefully prepared speech. The version of his speech that we hear initially um, is longer than the version that we hear him speak once he gets to his father. In other words, he doesn't make it through the whole speech by the time his father cuts him off and starts welcoming him home and celebrating. Um, so the father, you know, didn't need justifications, didn't need proof of remorse or willingness to make amends or any of that. He was just overjoyed by the presence of his child back among them. Um, number seven, it, it's easy to miss that the father actually goes out twice. Of course he goes out in the road to meet the younger son. He also goes out again. In verse 28, he goes out again, this time to look for his older son and try and convince his older son to come home. Number eight, this son of yours, that is how the older brother um, refers to his brother when he's talking to his dad and his dad shoots back intentionally flipping and calling him not this son of mine but this brother of yours uh, so he it's a very pointed way of reminding the brother about the, the connections between them in other words this reconciliation it's not just parent child it's also sibling to sibling and then number nine this story can also equally accurately be called the prodigal father. The word prodigal, um, it actually can be used with both negative and positive connotations. It can mean wasteful, uh, but it also can mean extravagant or lavish. So the younger son is a prodigal in how he wastes his inheritance. The father is a prodigal in the lavish, extravagant celebration that he throws. And I think you could actually, I think you could make the case too that the oldest son is also a prodigal because he wastes the grace and the abundance that are his to enjoy always by just refusing to enjoy them. All right, last one. Number 10, one last thing to note about this story is that actually only the seven, the last seven verses of this story are unique to Christianity. So for most of that story, Jesus, um, Jesus is telling a story that his audience all would have already known, regardless of their background. Uh, the Buddhist tradition has a scripture called the Lotus Sutra that tells a story about a rich father and a poor son who loses everything and has to come home. And then in Jewish Midrash, which is like commentary on the Torah, there's a story about a king whose son leaves uh, wants to return, but says he can't. And so the king sends a message to his son saying, return as far as you can, and I will come the rest of the way to you. So only that last bit, um, those last seven verses about the oldest brother, that part is unique to Jesus. Uh, and 
And not only does he throw in this bit about an older brother, but he doesn't finish the story, right? He kind of leaves it hanging. Like, we don't know how it turns out. The, the, does the brother relent and go back into the party? Does he, you know, stand firm and bitter and stay out, um, out off by himself? We don't know. And it's almost like Jesus is inviting that original audience of Pharisees to decide how they want to write the ending of the story. So there it is, 10 tidbits, time to decide. What do we think? Does this story most properly belong in Lent, repentance and our return, or does it belong in Pentecost, celebrating God's gifts to us? Um, I think based on some of that, I, you know, you could go either way, but I would go with Lent. I, I kind of like it where it is here as we're getting ready for Easter. Um, it's just really easy when we read this story to imagine ourselves in the shoes of that younger son. Um, and by adding this bit about the older son and framing it as, as a response to these grumbly Pharisees, uh, it's almost like Jesus is saying to us, like anyone, everyone um, is in need of repentance and return. And anyone, everyone is always welcome home. So that's a good message anytime, but, but definitely in Lent as we're getting ready for the celebration of Easter and working on ourselves. And, and maybe especially now as, um, you know, COVID is hopefully winding down and many of us are, are thinking about returning to people and places um, that we, where we have not been for a long time. So one final twist I want to throw in here for you. Um, however we interpret this story, um, we, we most often think about it in terms of like, which son are we, you know, like, are we the older son or the younger son? Are we the rebellious one or the rule following one? Um, and, and then take away that, it, you know, whichever one we are, it doesn't matter because God comes out to us um, and comes out to meet us and celebrates us and welcomes us home. But any of those interpretations, they all kind of assume um, that we're, you know, one or the other of the kids and that God is the dad. Um, but what if the dad isn't God either? What if God is in the kitchen? Is that? No. No, surely not. Surely just a trick of the eyes. Eyes that have spent so long staring at an empty horizon. Do you remember how he used to run to you? Do you remember how he used to throw his chubby arms around your neck? It's him. It's him. Go. Go. Go to the door. No. Go. Go out into the road. It's him. You know you want to. You know he's dying for love. I bet he knows, knows things now. So many things that he didn't know then. I bet he's rehearsed a speech. I bet he's fought remorse. At every step, go, go, go. He expects your anger. Go surprise him with your love. No, no, I don't think you look old. I like the gray hairs. Makes you look distinguished. Go, just go. Here, take the sandals, open the robe. Don't forget the ring. Just go, 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 go. And hey, this time, don't let him slip through your fingers, okay? You go, you go, you go. I'll be in here cooking. His brother will get over it. Friends, 
whichever brother we are, whichever child we are, whichever parent we are, when we are far off, may God come running out to meet us. And when others are far off, may we feel God shooing us out of the kitchen to go to the same. Whoever we are, wherever we have been, whatever we have done, God's offer and promise to us is one of amazing grace.